This is NAI Global's Diving Into Commercial Real Estate. Hello and welcome to NAI Global's podcast series, Diving Into Commercial Real Estate. I am Cliff Moskowitz, Executive Vice President of NAI Global. And uh, we have a great guest with us today. He was uh, our most popular speaker at our recent 2020 NAI Global Convention, uh, Alec Pasella, president of NAI Global Pleasant Valley. Uh, glad to have you, Alec. I appreciate being here, Cliff. Uh, for those of you who don't know, although many of you probably know Alec, Alec Pasella is the president of NAI Global Ple- NAI Pleasant Valley. He is a highly recognized seasoned investment professional, bringing 30 years of experience as both a principal and highly successful salesperson. He focuses on the marketing and sale of institutional quality real estate assets and has completed over $500 million in investment sale transactions. As managing partner of NAI Pleasant Valley out of Northern Ohio, he directs the daily operations of this regional brokerage company. He began his career in 1989 at the former Edward D. Bartolo Corporation and joined Grubb and Ellis in Cleveland in 1994, becoming Vice President of Investment Sales in 2000. He was a Regional Director at First Industrial Realty Trust prior to joining NAI in 2008. So welcome, Alec. Thanks for uh, lending us some time today. 30 years, man. I feel yeah. old now. <laughs> tell you what, Doesn't take uh, long. 1989 is uh that's a long time ago it's uh <laughs> end of the cold war i think <laughs> <laughs> thanks for kicking sand in my face <laughs> um but what that uh time does is give you experience and that's why we always look to you to kind of guide us uh you know you're a frequent speaker at nai conventions uh, nai trainings that sort of thing and uh, certainly right now, given what's going on in the world, uh, pandemic, election, um, we could use some of that wisdom. So uh, glad to have you here, have you here to share that with us. Um, you, Appreciate just, it. For, for those of you who may have tuned into Alex's presentation, but um, and for those of you who don't, who didn't, um, Alec gave a presentation that was well received at our convention that basically talked about the difficulty of valuation in a market with no transactions and a discussion about what the role of the broker can be now, given that the transaction volume is way down. Um, So Alec, maybe we start there. We can just kind of talk a little bit about what's going on in the investment sales market generally in terms of transactions. Sure. No, I'll be happy to. And, and, you know, part of the problem cliff is right now there's, not a whole lot going on on the investment side. Uh, and, and so as, as a transaction professional, we can make money, obviously, the, the easy when the, when the market's going up. Market's hot. Market's been hot since 2013, 2014, you know, kind of climbing, climbing up. Everyone gets on that train. I'm not saying deals are easy, but, you know, there's plenty of liquidity. There's plenty of capital uh, looking to invest in real estate. Uh, so market's going up. But that's a good place. You can also make money on the downside, you know, when the market's going down. Uh, then you just got to kind of flip the telescope, look down the other end of that barrel. Uh, at that point, you know, sellers want to get out. You know, they're the ones that, that are motivated trying to get out. 
Um, assuming you can flag down capital to invest in those falling asset prices, you can make money when market's going down. The problem as a transaction professional is in the middle, in that kind of no man's land, when nothing's happening, when things are just stagnant. Uh, that's the situation that we've kind of found ourselves in, you know, primarily thanks to, to COVID-19, you know, right about March, started out pretty good year, right? 2020 got out of the gates uh, fairly well, and then just came to an absolute standstill, uh, you know, when, when COVID really started to rear, rear its head, uh, and, and we haven't gotten back on track. So you start thinking about that, okay, why? what's going on here? Why, why, why are we stagnant? Well, we know why we're stagnant because there's so much uncertainty and you hit in your opening, you hit on, okay, let's throw some, <laughs> throw some more gas on the fire. You know, let's put this in an election here that's hotly contested and you know, obviously going to be highly uncertain. Uh, and then the COVID thing just isn't going away, right? This, this thing, you know, here in Ohio, I'm in Ohio, our numbers had actually fallen under a thousand a day, new cases. Uh, but the last week or so, they're, they're back up today is almost 5,000 cases. So, you know, almost a five-fold increase um, in daily cases. Uh, so this thing isn't going away, any away anytime soon. So you mix that all together and you just have just tremendous amounts of, of uncertainty in the market. And that's what's creating that sluggishness, that stat, stagnant, you know, buyers and sellers really don't want to move. So that's the position that we found ourselves in. But again, as a transaction professional, I got some choices, right? I can just sit on my hands and you know, go hide under a rock and wait for the sun to shine again. Or I can figure out a way to maybe not make the transaction happen because, you know, <laughs> as I'm sure we all know, really hard to make that happen from a brokerage standpoint. We can't force a transaction to happen. But what we can do is foster communications. And so that's a lot about what I focused on during that NEI presentation. And I've actually given this presentation a couple other times and it's been equally well received. Fostering communication. How can we get the buyer and seller not to strike a deal, not to even come to a common ground, but how can we get them to continue to communicate? Because as deal people, we all know that's where deals start, communication, being able to foster good communication back and forth between both sides. All right, I'm going to take a breath and, now. Yeah, and 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 that that's that that brings up the point, you know, um, you know, one of the things I think you had a chart up between, you know, buyer and seller expectations right now on pricing and, you know, sellers still maybe they've adjusted a little bit but not fully, but buyers think, you know, we're going to get this huge discount, COVID, you know, we're going to buy everything distressed. Um, and you talked a little bit about the discrepancy between those. Maybe you could touch on that uh, a little bit as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that was my uh, my good friend, Bob White, Real Capital Analytics. It's a, a great source, not not making this a commercial for him, but they're, they're, he's kind of a go-to source in that institutional grade or near institutional grade investment sales market. Uh, he does a great job of capturing really great information. Um, and he has, you know, basically he's put together an index. So like, just like the S&P 500 is an index of the broader stock markets, he's put together an index called the Real Property Pricing Index. Uh, it's based on this huge trough of data that he's sitting on. And based on that index, like you said, there's a huge discrepancy. So the chart that I used at the NAI conference, that data was from July. 
Okay, that was the most recent that was available. So I just checked it before we got jumped on this. Uh, you know, jumped on this podcast. I just checked it. Uh, in July, the gap was 27%. So there was a 20%, 27% gap between sellers' expectation of pricing as compared to buyers' expectation of pricing. So you have a huge gap you're trying to overcome. That gap has actually widened <laughs> since July. It's wow. now up to 36%. So you got a 36%, and this is for all property types, a 36% gap between where the seller's expectation is and pricing of the asset as compared to where the buyer's is. Because in, in a lot of the seller's minds, nothing's changed, right? My, rent, right? my tenants are still, for the most part, paying rents, right? And, and, you know, I know what this property was worth last year and still in good shape, right? It's still, you know, why, why, why should I adjust my pricing when the underlying financials, the underlying income profile of the property really hasn't changed. So th therein lies the, the paradox or the conundrum that, that, that we're sitting in. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that begs the question. So we have a 36% gap between buyer and seller pricing expectations. We have a market where almost no transactions are happening. And yet, as the transaction professionals and the experts in the market owners of real estate are going to come to us and they're going to say, what's my property worth? So given the circumstances, how can we talk intelligently about value? A couple of different ways. You know, one way is just to pontificate. <laughs> That's what the broker usually does, right? Let's just link it. <laughs> let, me just, let me just spin whittle and pontificate and, and just throw some stuff out. That, that'll, that'll work for maybe a little while, but <laughs> it's not going to get you very far. So you, one, the approach that I talked about uh, during the uh, convention was, you know, having some framework to, to develop some answers. You know, is it going to be the answer? No. No, it's not going to be the answer, but it, but at least it gives uh, guardrails or framing to value. And so, you know, you just put together a matrix and say, okay, what's what predicates value? You know, what what are the foundational things of value? Well, in an investment transaction, the the foundations of value is income. You know, the annual income that the property is generating. We typically call that net operating income. So it's all the rents less vacancy, less expenses, what's left over, net operating income, and cap rate. And cap rate, you know, means a lot of things to a lot of people, but cap rate is just really an, an annualized return. You know, on a stock, it's it's a dividend, right? It's it's a it's a rate, it's a percentage rate as a percent of value. So now that we know those two components, okay, if we're looking for value, we're looking for V and OI divided by cap rate will get you the value. So that's a kind of a standard standard foundational concept in investment real estate. So the problem becomes, we know what income is today, right? You know, and the owners can very easily illustrate thus. Okay, here's what my tenants are paying in rent. Here's what my expenses are. Here's my NOI. But the problem that buyers are having is, what's that going to be next year? or three years or five years down the road? What's the impact of this uncertain economy gonna have on my real estate? Same thing with cap rate. 
you know, right now we know what, what cap rates are. You know, cap rates are actually a backward-looking measure, so we kind of know what they are, at least what they were, you know, back in March. What are they going to do? What's the buyer's expectation on the rate of return that they're going to require for that real estate investment? So those are the two things that are kind of in flux here. And as those things flux, our value is going to change. So what I had talked about was developing a matrix, develop a structure. Okay, here's income today, here's cap rate today, so that means here's value today. And by today, I'm really saying, you know, six months down, six months ago, you know, when we had a good fix on these things. As income decreases, so as your NOI decreases, because most people kind of think for most real estate sectors, that's what's going to happen, right? Rents are going to either flatten or decrease vacancies are probably going to increase. So either of those things is going to make your NOI drop. So you can plot that across one axis, say an x-axis, and then cap rate, we generally think they're going to increase. You know, we've been in a pretty low level for many years now. General expectation is cap rates are probably going to increase. So you put that down a y-axis, and so now you have something to frame that discussion on value. Okay, Mr. Owner, Mr. Buyer, Mr. Seller, if incomes decrease by 6% and cap rates increase by 20 basis points, this would be the estimate of value. You have a conversation starter to at least get the, keep the conversation going. Right, and so um, that that's very useful. And, and then I, I guess the next question is, so once you have this framework established, you have at least some guesstimate of range of value, let's call it. How can you, what can you do with that knowledge? How do you take that knowledge as a transaction professional to, let's say, owners of property in your market and um, lend them that expertise help them make a decision about a property that they have or a portfolio and what they should do with it. Because a lot of these owners now that are maybe not collecting rents that they were are trying to make decisions themselves. Do I hold the property? Do I pay my mortgage or not? Do I try and get rid of it now because things might get worse? Um, how can you take the knowledge of the sort of range of value that you developed approach an owner and help him make a useful decision about what to do with their property. Mm -hmm. and, and and I think that's the beauty of kind of taking this types of approach because you're not necessarily telling them, you know, you're not, you're not sitting on one side of the table and they're sitting on the other side of the table and you're saying, this is what it is. You know, this allows you to kind of move on the same side of the table with them and saying, you know, what do you think rents are going to do? You know, and I understand that we're the experts. We're supposed to be able to tell them that, but they own the asset. You know, they know what their rent profile is. They know what the outlook is. They're watching the news. They're, you know, they're reading reports. They, they you know, they, they will have some idea. And, and it allows you to say, you know, you you choose. <laughs> you choose what you think is going to happen to rents as far as how, how much they're going to fall. You choose what you think is going to cap happen to cap rates, how much they're going to increase. Um, and just match them up. Okay, 6% decrease in NOI, 40 basis point increase in cap rate lining up there's about your value so you know it allows you to work much more collaboratively with them versus 
you know, here's an opinion of value, here's the base assumptions, here you go. So, you know, it really allows you to work together. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of this type of approach, I think, put you on the same side of the table with them. Yeah. And I would also guess, you know, a lot of us, many of us, I'm sure, uh, have had deals that died, you know, that were in process down the road, COVID happened, sort of put a halt to it. So are you using this framework to sort of revisit some of those deals and say, hey, let's talk again. Let's talk about, you know, what the property might be worth now, given the new set of circumstances. And here's some factual uh, evidence or some a mathematical way that we can sort of calculate and look at perhaps a price adjustment. Absolutely. That's it. It's exactly how I'm using this as a way to rekindle conversation. Is it going to restart a deal and, you know, magic bullet? No, probably not. But at this point, <laughs> again, I can sit on my hands, hide under the rock, wait for the sun to shine again, or I can try to keep that conversation going. Because if I'm sitting on my hands, waiting for the sun to shine again, maybe there's another agent out there, broker out there, that's going to be able to shoehorn their way in. And so, you know, obviously this business is all about relationships, all about, you know, maintaining and establishing and cultivating relationships. And this is a great way to do it. Uh, and maybe along the line, you get to get a deal rekindled and jump started and try to get it back on track. But at least it gives you a reason, an opportunity to stay in front of that client on a regular basis. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. It's all about, uh, you know, having the, the touch points of contact where you can uh, deliver useful information to the owners so that when they are ready to do something, you're in front of them. So you know, that, that's certainly you know, a great strategy to have. Um, I'm just going to pivot for a, for a moment. You know, I know on our side, we've been getting calls from buyers. You know, buyer, there's capital out there. It's been raised or is being raised to buy what people perceive as this big wave of distressed real estate coming. But on the other side, we're not seeing the sellers out there yet. Maybe the banks are giving some forbearance on their mortgages or the sellers have some reserves or they're not ready to sell. Um, or they're just think that this is a bad time because value has gone down from where it was in March and they can hold on through. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, are you also getting the same kind of wave of potential buyers calling you saying they want to buy distressed real estate? And when they do, what are you doing with that information? Are you putting that saying, if we hear of anything, we'll get back to you, banking it uh, somewhere in some uh, maybe CRM or data source? Or are you actually, you know, taking that information based upon what their investment profile is and going to try and hunt and find them deals? That's a great question. And yes, we absolutely are getting those calls with increasing frequency, it seems like, as the days and weeks click by here, uh, you know, looking for, you know, with buyers looking for distress. Uh, and you're exactly right. So far, it's not out there. I mean, it, it, we're starting to see some fringes, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, in, in, in the big cities, New York and so on and so forth, you're seeing the same thing. You know, we're st starting to see some serious cracks in hospitality. You know, it's funny because this, this market, it's almost like the has and the have nots. Best of times, worst of times. Uh, you know, best of times. Industrial. <laughs> you know, industrial, it is still absolutely a seller's market. Yeah, right. I mean, it's an absolute seller's market, industrial, grocery anchored retail, absolutely a seller's market. 
but then on the flip side, hospitality, <laughs> you know, downtown CBD office, you know, there's some suburban office, you know, there's some, you know, some segments that are just, you know, but we haven't, even though those segments are, are really tough, I think it's going to get a lot tougher and it has to get a lot tougher in order to, for the, for the distress to really take hold. We haven't seen that yet. We, you know, we, we certainly haven't seen, it. I think we're starting to see some cracks, you know, certainly in the hospitality side, and I'm not a hotel guy, so, you know, that's kind of foreign language to me, but, but we're starting to see some, some cracks on that. Um, and we think it's just a matter of time before that migrates to some of the other segments. So back to your original question, what are we doing with that information? So one of the things I've always been a big proponent of is, you know, I give you a give. So, you know, I'll, I'll certainly take the information that they that they give me and, and I'll give them some ideas, maybe even, you know, some some sectors or some areas some geographic areas, depending on what their focus is, you know, what they're looking for um, that, that, to keep an eye on it or that I'll help them keep an eye on. But I also want to find out what are they seeing in other markets? You know, what 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 are they buying? What what are they seeing in, you know, if they're looking at Indy or Detroit or St. Louis or Cincinnati or other markets? Because I want to try to gather as much because that means they're on the ground probably or they're they're scoping out deals there as well. I want to find out what's going on in those markets. You know, so I'm I'm always a proponent of yeah I'll give you information. <laughs> I have no problem doing that. But you know it's it's you know you got to spill some back my way to help me as well. So. But like I said, for right now, we're just not seeing that um, that uh, that fallout like we did. Will we? <laughs> Seems to be we seem to be headed that way, right? 2021 yeah. could be an interesting year. Um, but, you know, there's still liquidity. There's still good liquidity in the marketplace. Um, you know, this is a much different time than it was in, in nine and ten. You know, I think lenders are, are a lot more willing and capable of trying to work things out. Um, but you know that that could change. <laughs> it could change very quickly here as we move toward the end of the year and then beginning of next year. So, uh, given given the lack of transactions that are currently happening, um, you know, what, what are some productive activities um, that you're advising your that you're doing and advising your brokers and your team to be doing um, right now on a daily basis to you know, still be pushing the ball forward, even if the transactions aren't happening today. Yeah, no, that's, and and I think a lot of times, especially in this market, Cliff, where you, you get complacent, you know, the woe is me, you know, especially if you're remote, you're not interacting with anyone except your wife and your dog and your kids that may be working and their online schooling, you know, it, it, you, you develop a complacency. So we've been trying to, you know, with our, with our people and, and myself, we've been trying to break, make sure that our people aren't getting complacent, that they're continuing to have conversations. You're exactly right. No, no deal. You, you got that big void in transaction volume. So how you fill in that time? So we've laid out several strategies for our people. Here's some ways to use your time productively and, help glean some additional information. Uh, you know, one of the best things I think is property management. You know, in this type of environment, in this type of market, you know, property management, if you have access either in-house, you know, if your company has a property management division, and if they don't, that's okay. I mean, I'm sure there's people in your marketplace or colleagues of yours that are involved in property management. 
talk to those people. Those people are tremendous sources of information. They can tell you about rent collection levels, delinquencies, what sectors they're seeing difficulty, tenants have difficulties with. Are the tenants actually occupying the space? Are they actually physically in the space or is it just, you know, they're, they're paying rent but it's dark space? Um, challenges that owners are having, you know, be it from lenders or be it from um, tenants or be it from communities, just they're, they're great wealth of information and that, that now's a great time to mine that type of information. Uh, just to understand, just to get a better understanding. Where are we now? Where are things headed? So that, you know, property management, top of my list, top of my list. Um, another one's bankers. You know, another one is, you know, I love speaking to lenders to find out what's going on in their worlds. What are they seeing? And I'm starting to hear stories of shifting. You know, there's some lenders that just flat aren't lending on certain product types. Um, so finding out, you know, why, what, what's, what's behind those decisions? Why are you, what's your lending ratios for class B garden apartments versus grocery anchor shopping centers versus suburban office buildings? You know, so getting that information directly from the source of direct lenders, that can be very valuable information. Um, so, you know, those two are pretty high on my hit list of, of people that I want to try to talk to on a regular basis just to get as much information as I can. Yeah, that, those certainly uh, are things that we're doing over here as well. Um, what about on the on the data side? You know, you mentioned uh, Real Capital Analytics. Um, are there any other data sources you use to sort of maybe track uh, mortgages, you know, are you are using a trap or something like that to see where there might be some more defaults? Do you, do you get into any of that type of analysis? Oh yeah, yeah, no, we, we've been a subscriber to trap for, you know, for since the last down cycle. Um, we really never let it go. So we've continued to subscribe to trap uh, and that can be a great source of information. You know, it's still, it, it, it's, 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 exclusively in the you know CMBS market so you know they don't go in the you know traditional lending areas but within that CMBS market it's a it's a great resource so we're absolutely plugged in and constantly watching their you know their watch list and drilling down to get as much information as much data out of that as we can um, you know you mentioned real capital analytics uh, you know uh, that's a that's been a big one of mine for you know since Bob Boy started that company you know, probably 20 years ago um, so I'm constantly following that. We're a CoStar, you know, this is a CoStar market where, you know, CoStar is a pretty dominant data vendor for, you know, building specific information. So, you know, once a month, you know, I'm, I'm coming through that data. We have the benefit of having a regional research person here in Cleveland. So um, I'm pretty friendly with her and I'll send her an email, you know, once a month, just asking for her take. She does a little kind of a one page market summary for the whole Midwest. So I stay in touch with her um, and get that, make sure I get that information on a regular basis just to keep an eye on that. And th those are probably the three of the biggest um, sources that, that we use between Tropical Capital Analytics and, and the aggregation of CoStar data. Those are our, probably our three biggest ones. That's great. Um, well, I know we're almost at the end here, but I do have to ask you the tough question. If you have any bold predictions for what's upcoming in 2021, <laughs> I, yeah, I got a few. I got a few. <laughs> I, I I think that I I think that um, you know. So we're sitting here. What what is this today? November 
what's the fifth, right? Fifth, I think it's the fifth. Um, you know, two election plus two days, and we still don't have. We, there's no clarity yet, right? I haven't, I haven't looked at the news there in a couple hours, but there's still no decision made. I assume on our who's who's going to be the person you'll, you'll, in our country. You'll know when there's a you'll know when there's a decision. <laughs> The Twitter machine will melt down, huh? But, um, but you know, I, I think that there could be, you know, long-term ramifications for you know, the, our industry. You know, I, I think we've all read the, the story of, of the platforms that both of the candidates have. Uh, on, I'm talking specifically on tax, uh, certain tax codes that maybe get rewritten uh, or not. So that could have very far-reaching implications. So taking that aside, if we can, so we'll take that aside, take it off the table right now, because that's a lot of that speculative, and you know, it has to go through the House, go through the Senate, and Tax Reform Act is never a very easy thing to to get accomplished. But just looking at kind of the world we're in, you know, I think that we are in the soup here for at least another year. Um, I think we're going to see a dramatic jump. I think a lot of uh, companies, uh, a lot of retailers are just trying to hang on, you know, to get through the holiday season. Um, that holiday season is looking increasingly bleak as we move toward it. Uh, I, I think January is just going to be, a, you know, I, I shudder in some ways to think what January is going to bring. Um, in, in some ways, it's opportunity, right? In some ways, I think it's going to be opportunity. Like I said, in, in the brokerage business, you can make money when the train's going up the hill. You can make money when the train's going down the hill. And I think you know, first, second quarter, that train's going to be flying down the hill. Um, and, you know, I think it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people are going to get, you know, going to take a pretty good whack. Uh, but again, in our business, you know, there's there's clearly going to be opportunity uh, in that. So I think that, you know, take between now and the end of the year, figure out a business plan, figure out how to get prepared for it. Because once January, once that calendar turns over to January, I, I think it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be an interesting ride for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll uh, come back and revisit uh, your prediction uh, maybe later in the mid next year and see where we're at. But um, like you said, um, even if uh, things are maybe trending downwards, uh, that might force uh, owners or note holders into decisions and decisions are good for brokers because that means uh, it might have to be uh, a wave of transactions. So, Alec, thanks yep, for joining uh, us today. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, and uh, we hope to have you back another on another episode. Cliff, I appreciate the opportunity. Hope you have a good rest of your day. You too.